Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today's show was originally going to be a ghost story in which I kind of worked through the story and added my own narration in. But in the interview with Mike, today's guest, I was so moved by what he shared and by his experience and by his mystical experience and how he took his spiritual experience and really integrated it into his life and made real profound changes that I didn't want to cut it up and I wanted you, the listener, to be able to hear his story in his voice in its entirety. So here's Mike's story. My name is Mike Ergo, and I am a United States Marine Corps veteran, and I served 2001 to 2005 and deployed to Iraq twice. And as an infantry Marine, my job consisted of patrolling, uh, kicking down doors, you know, finding the guys we were trying to get and getting them. And that was, that was the majority of my job. And there was a lot of downtime too. So I had a very interesting experience, my second deployment in Iraq. And both times I was deployed just for seven months. And my experience, which I'm still, I think we were talking about it before, still trying to categorize or understand what we'd even call it mm-hmm. was it took place during November of 2004 and I was involved in what was called Operation Phantom Fury and it was this large-scale combat operation in the city of Fallujah in Iraq and it was a lot of people waiting for us to come into the city and they were ready to fight to death and so it was fighting house to house for over a month. You mean and people, civilians or? These were both the Iraqi insurgents, the local resistance, and people who were coming in from all over the world to, if they wanted to fight the Americans. You know, there's a lot of uh, jihadists who, is, who knew that if they came there, they could they could fight the, the infidels and the Americans. Mm-hmm. So we, we fought. We were encountering people from Chechnya, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, um, Syria, everywhere, Mm. all across the Middle East. So in late November, a lot of the days blurred together. Sure. But it was, I believe, around November 18th. And I had one of my junior Marines in my team. I was in charge of three other Marines and he noticed that some some insurgents were hiding and he saw their weapons sticking out of a, a pile of uh, clothes and trash they were hiding under and we ended up chasing them over some walls and through some houses and they were going to be set up to ambush the rest of my platoon of, of 40 so Marines and so we wanted to get to them before they could they could set up and, and hurt these guys so in the fourth house that we cleared, there's four guys clearing two and three story houses, basically looking for people who are waiting to shoot us. And the very uh, smallest room in the bathroom of this house, we come down the stairs 
and my back is against the, the concrete where the stairs were. Two of my men were behind me, and my point man was right next to me. We're shoulder to shoulder. He kicks open this door, and these guys are in this room. And immediately, we start shooting, they start shooting. And this was only from a few feet away. So mm -hmm. this is point blank range. Hmm. And the, the door gets slammed shut on their side. And so now we're just both shooting through a door, hoping we're hitting something. And I remember that I started feeling heat on my neck because the bullets must have been that close. And I heard someone behind me yell and fall down the stairs. And I assumed they had been, you know, shot and killed. And I had this moment where I accepted the fact that I was going to die. I was very certain. I was like, well, this is it. And I remember in that moment wondering, you know, would I, would I call out to God or would I, would I ask for forgiveness, you know, as, as someone who grew up as an evangelical Christian, I no, lo no longer believe that. And I wondered, you know, would I hedge my bets and just, just go back on and, and try to try to beg for some kind of mercy from a God I didn't believe in anymore in that form. And I didn't do that. And I realized that I was fine being right there with my guys. And just, I, I really cared about these guys I was with. And I said, if this is how I go out, this is how I go out. Mm -hmm. And I remember I had this moment of just kind of surrender. I was still shooting. I was still there trying to, to live, but I wasn't so attached to remaining alive. I said, whatever happens, happens. And then something that it took me over 10 years to really acknowledge, uh, something really weird happened. And I started to notice every single cell in my body. And not just before, prior to that, I had I had lived in my head. It was almost as if my my eyes and my head were, you know, the control center for my whole body, and my the rest of my body was just a machine that followed orders. Hmm. Now I was able to notice every single cell as if it were breathing in and out, and I, I noticed the hairs growing out of my feet. I noticed it, it felt like a, I could see. I had eyeballs all over my my body and I could see in all different directions. It almost and sounds like a like a psychedelic trip. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it sounds like. And I've I've ingested uh, cannabis before edibly and I've I've done psilocybin mushrooms once, but nothing nothing like this. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's interesting you say that too, because I've heard and I can't find any research on this, but I've I've heard that Sometimes when people are about to die, the body releases some form of the DMT. Hmm. And, and that, that does sound, once I heard that, I was like, that, that sounds plausible. So, so it's really interesting. And, and I, I entered this kind of timeless space. Everything was so incredibly slow. And then there was just no time. And so I remember just having one moment of... It's one pang of regret that I, I wouldn't see my girlfriend, who's now my wife. I was like, uh, I would never see her again. And then just totally surrendering to, to whatever happened. And the next thing that occurred was that my consciousness or who I was started to expand. And so it expanded from where my body was to include the bodies 
of the Marines with me to include the, the bodies of the, the, these insurgents we were trying to kill to the concrete in this house and all the materials around it and the dirt and then went outward into the sky. And so it just, it just, I didn't have any sense of self anymore because those lines were no longer there, those boundaries. It just, I, I recognized this presence of this greater self that I was part of and it was a timeless and it was so peaceful. And there was just this deep knowing that everything was going to be all right, that I had nothing to worry about with death. And that lasted, well, it was, it was eternal. It was eternal. It was, it was eternal. But then this weird paradox of how we have time and space back here, as we experience it, eventually I came back in, kind of just was warped back into my body and ended up I uh, found myself still, still shooting at these people. I was still alive, which is mm-hmm. a big shock to me. And you were never, you had not, you did not get shot, right? I did not get shot. This no, was not I, a near death experience. No, no. The only thing that I happened was a superficial wound where part of a grenade got lodged in my neck. And it was like, it was, you know, micrometers big. It was something that just fell out a couple weeks later. It was bleeding, but nothing that was even close to, you know, being uh, close to death at all. And that experience, needless to say, did not fit into any kind of paradigm of how the world worked or what, how I saw reality at all. And so I didn't know what to do with it. Plus, it was sandwiched in between, you know, some pretty gory scenes of killing. And uh, most of the time when that thought came up, I would just numb myself out with alcohol or cannabis or uh, opiates. Uh, because I didn't want to, it just, it was too much for me to to handle. I wasn't ready for it yet. But I finally was able to see that after I backed off and, and totally uh, went cold turkey on, on all substances, uh, except for coffee. <laughs> still my favorite. Um, then all of a sudden, like these blips would occur in my mind. Be like, oh yeah, that, that really did happen. Because mm-hmm. it's such... It's such an insane, such a crazy um, thing to even describe. I mean, it took me a while to even like find words to describe what was happening because it was just so much. It, I just, it was, it, it just, there was so much information coming in that this one tiny human brain couldn't really process it, especially mine. Well, and that's the hallmark from what I've learned of a mystical spiritual experience is the ineffability of it, the difficulty describing Mm -hmm. what happened. But you came back and you didn't talk about it. No, because I was with, I, I, I was amongst some of the most alpha, uh, hyper-masculine guys you can imagine. (laughs) And this didn't fit into our things we talked about. You know, we mm-hmm. talked about, you know, who the hottest girls, you know, in movies were, you know, what, what the best kind of beer was, what we were going to do when we got back home. Um, you know, some people talked about their faith, but it was usually, you know, either some of the traditional spiritual um, views, Christianity, um, Judaism, and Buddhism. But that was... I was usually not even talked about that much even. And in your unit, there were other, I mean, in this, in this fight, I don't know all the lingo, so I apologize. Yeah. 
Um, there were people who died, right? There were the in, only in that, people in that house that you were in that little skirmish. The only people who died were the people that I killed in that room. And the guy behind me who was hit, he was uh, he was luckily his a round struck him through the helmet and and took off a chunk of his helmet and, and ricocheted off, but he fell down thinking he was shot in the head because he was it just didn't penetrate his skull so hmm. miraculously survived i mean we're talking about he was only a foot behind me so the the fact i mean we looked in that room too in that hallway and there were it was it was so improbable that we did not get shot because my point man and i were pushing against each other's shoulders in this room trying to go the opposite way there's just nowhere to go mm-hmm and the fact that we were alive was just, you know, a head scratcher. So I had no wounds, no wounds at all. And neither did the guys that w- were with me. Um, no so physical wounds. No physical wounds. Um, so, of course, doing what you and I do, I'm going to have to ask you some of these questions just because I yeah. think it's important for people to hear. What happened when you got back? And how do you think this experience transformed you well after i finally stopped wrestling with my actual experience and and stopped trying to fit it into my preconceived ideas of how the world and the universe worked after i said just okay this is what it is let's start with my experience is is reality and what's happening i started to realize that there was nothing to worry about on the other side and that instead of trying to live as if I had to to do everything before I died, um, I could change my approach to comforting people and just offering, offering love and compassion. And even if it wasn't telling them about this mystical experience I had, I could communicate that message of love that I felt. I felt that love and connection is the most profound thing I've ever felt. The only thing that comes close to it is when my daughter was born. Mm -hmm. And that was just a big explosion of love when I saw her for the first time. But that, that I feel is, is my mission right now. And, And so I do that in a couple different ways. One is as a, a licensed clinical social worker. I work for the VA and as part of the vet centers, I provide counseling for any veteran who's been in a combat theater or who's experienced sexual trauma, just to offer that down below all of this numbness and anger and fear and sadness is, is this unending well of joy. And it is so powerful if people have the courage to go through it and that's what i did and that was a big part of my you know getting sober and starting the spiritual journey was facing my fears head on and i was living a life in a way it all came together in the summer of 2012 and and i I was unfaithful to my wife and i was using uh, a lot and drinking a lot missing work and i just I remember a day looking in the mirror and I had this tattoo and some Marine Corps motto, Semper Fidelis, always faithful. And just the, just the incongruity of those words in my lifestyle and everything I cared about 
we're at odds. But just the dissonance there. Just mm-hmm. I was like, something has to change or I'm just going to put a bullet in my head because this I can't live like this. And a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah, 20 to 22 a day for veterans. And so I said, you know what, before I check out, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to give it 100%. And I was part of a, um, a really intense therapy group where we faced our fears head on. We felt everything we needed to feel. We connected to that spark of, of pure love and, and consciousness that many of us have as a child. And mm-hmm. we lose along the way somewhere. And we started to allow ourselves to talk to people in really authentic ways and express who we are, confront our fears of who I am is not good enough. And if I show people who I am, they'll want to leave. And so we took, we took those on a lot of different exercises. And so I, I told my wife, hey, this is what's going on. I understand you. If you want to leave, I love you. But I know my actions are saying otherwise. And you know, so it was, it was a rough, you know, six months to a year. And she decided she wanted to stay with me if I promised never to use again. And I, I had some, um, I, I started to, to notice that, okay, now I have to feel all these feelings. And what do I do with this grief? Because once the substances were gone, and the chemicals, I didn't have anything else to feel good. Mm-hmm. And right. Or to not all, feel, right? To not feel. One yeah, of the no. others, to feel good or not feel. Yeah, at least when I was in in combat, I could, I could be charged full of adrenaline. And at least I felt, you know, the, the love for the guys around me, the camaraderie, or, you know, the intense hatred for an enemy. There were, there were feelings there and a purpose. And now I was just kind of drifting. So... My, I had a, fortunately, I had a friend who gave me a birthday present and he gave me a registration for a half marathon. And it was just a really significant part of my life because I had tried working out and, and felt okay, but it was just, it was, I was feeling really raw those first six months of sobriety. But then I, as I was training up for this and I was, I was kind of pissed at him because I didn't want to, I didn't want to run or do anything that extreme in my mind but I had this one day where I was rounding a corner and all of a sudden I just felt safe in my own body I felt good and that was the first time in a long time that I felt like that because I was diagnosed with PTSD and and just had you know complete I was having panic attacks I was angry all these memories were come back coming back fragmented not even Mm -hmm. a a full cohesive memory chronological memory it was just bits and pieces Mm -hmm. And this was the first time I can remember since, since then. It was, it was you know, seven years after where I felt just I didn't need to be anywhere else. And I felt at peace with myself and the universe. And that began a journey of me trying out other endurance sports. Uh, open water swimming was a really big one for me. And just being able to be here in the present moment, which I wasn't able to do because my mind the part of my spirit was still back in that room in that house in Iraq. And I wasn't able to move on from that. And now, and and it's really uncomfortable to be in the present moment when the present moment is overwhelming you with these feelings of sadness and anger and fear and resentment and, you know, 
just yeah. complete devastation, like for what you experienced, for what you did on some level, right? Like, mm-hmm. and even to describe it, I didn't have that. I didn't have these words I have now. This comes after years of of learning about trauma, learning about grief, and what happens in war. Right, your own therapy, fu- being a therapist. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. So much stuff. Because before, if you had asked me what was going on, I could tell you. I don't like what's going on. It doesn't feel good. And I'm having all these these loops of, of memories, bits and pieces show up. And I don't like it. Mm-hmm. That's probably, that would be even, it would be even lucky if I could say that much. So it was like a fire hose of memories and, and sensation and feeling. So I, I started realizing... Um, I watched this one video of this woman who lost her husband in Afghanistan and she started running to deal with the grief. And I realized that I was doing that too, but now I didn't have to, like when I remembered my friends who I, who I cared about, I realized once I was able to connect through this experience that we are eternal beings and that, that bond, those bonds don't break. I don't have to get over somebody I really care about. I don't have to move on and just cut that part out of my life because it's part of me forever. And that's, mm-hmm. I like that. So I can incorporate all those feelings, whatever is there, and keep that love and those bonds through doing something that's healthy for me. I don't have to be at the bar slamming down shots. So I realized that I wanted to incorporate both this new, this new sport that I love, triathlon, and, and grieving and dealing with trauma together so I could honor these guys I lost and let their families know that they're they're not forgotten and that they're never truly gone that nobody ever is truly gone and that uh, we remember them we and I carry them in my hearts and in my being and the extent that I tell people what that means depends on maybe how ready they are to hear it or Absolutely. what they believe mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm very careful not to jump in and accost people with the ideas and experiences I have because I wouldn't have been ready for it you know right (laughs) Right. you got to give them like a little a little crumb yeah you give them feed them the whole sandwich Uh right there was one thing a couple experiences I've had uh, even prior while I was still you know heavily intoxicated for the majority of my days I I was I had a friend Josh and he's from Northern California a couple hours north of where I live and we weren't best friends but we were close in a sense that we both knew where we lived and we were both on the east coast station station on the east coast and but but we're both from Northern California and you know both in the same unit so we were we were friendly I really liked the guy he went back after we got out as a security contractor and he most horrific thing you can imagine was kidnapped and held imprisoned for ransom and you know dismembered and beaten to death after a year and a half of being imprisoned and Mm. an awful experience just devastating absolutely devastating I mean for you know us his his brothers in arms and then especially for his family Mm mm-hmm so after the funeral and after visiting them, I went up uh, again just to visit 
you know, his mom and dad. And I had this dream beforehand. And when I say dream, this was, it happened while I was asleep, but this was much more than a dream. And what I remember for that, and I knew I had to tell him about it. So the, the, the dream was, I, it's myself, my friend Josh, and Josh's dad are sitting, talking, and I, maybe we're having lunch, but it's just on this big bluff overlooking a body of water. And uh, the hill that leads down to the water is, is exposed dirt and rock at, at different shades of red and brown. And at one point, as we're just having small talk, uh, just nothing remarkable about it, I asked him, hey, how are you doing? And he looked at me with this, just this really just, I know this kind of, I know the secret. I have this deep knowledge kind of smile, a really deep smile. And he said, I'm really good. And I said, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm really good. And there was something about the quality that I, I about this dream that was so, it stuck with me. It was. Right. So it was a visit, right? And it was a visit. Yeah. 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 And. And so I started, you know, playing the, the mind games. Well, why would he do with me? I wasn't his best friend, you know, or like trying to... Because you were to, to open and you were... Yeah. Right? You, you opened that portal on some I realized, consciousness portal. I realized I was doing the same thing uh, with this other experience that I had uh, in Iraq that, okay, it happened. Let's start with that. And for whatever reason, I don't have to understand it. And so I told his parents and that gave him a lot of peace. Mm -hmm. And I said, that was what I was supposed to do. And, and if it makes him feel better, I don't need to understand more than that. And that's the same with this experience. I like to know more about what happened and how it happened and what it means you know, that I had in Iraq. But when it comes down to it, it's changed my life profoundly. I no longer fear death. And I now race Ironman triathlons and during the run which is a marathon I carry a flag for a local gold star family someone who's lost their son or daughter in military service and I bring them to the race and I show that we can grieve together we can celebrate this person's life together that they're not gone that they are still here they're still part of this there's this energy is you know is not destroyed mm -hmm. even though the physical body may be gone and I bring it together and invite them and bring them back into the community. Right? And so it connects, you know, the, the veterans who have survivor's guilt a lot of times mm -hmm. with a family who is grieving, missing their son or daughter and wants to connect with a veteran. And the community a lot of times wants to help but isn't sure how. And, and through the sport that I really love. And I realize that this experience of nothing else has allowed me to create something that makes people feel really good and heal. And so maybe that's it. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And the way that you tell your story is so authentic and heartfelt and genuine and real and just really transformative. And so mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your service because I don't, in, in my world, like there's not a lot of people, I, I don't think I know anybody who's served in thank you, the military. I've never had the opportunity to thank someone and to hear face-to-face -face someone's story in this way. I, I have worked with people who have had family members who 
were killed, but it's different to hear directly from someone who experienced that and to imagine the trauma that you experienced and what you have to live with in your mind every single day and to have overcome that is such an inspiration truly thank you and that's i I want it to be an inspiration and now my role with the iron man triathlon um as an ambassador of the iron man foundation the nonprofit part of it is to include as many other veterans to, to make this part of their journey and as many other gold star families. So it's not just about me that I can, I was like, I have, I've been giving this second chance here. I've been giving this, this gift of, of knowing that everything is going to be okay. Even if I forget it sometimes in daily life mm-hmm. that everybody I come across, I want them to experience that if they're open to it. Well, and I think when you're dealing with survivor's guilt, on one level, obviously you feel you feel guilty that you're here and they're not. But it's almost uh, it's almost dishonoring to those who aren't here to not live your life because they completely, do. completely. And that that was this realization, and that I'm I'm so glad you said that because for a while, you know, someone someone brought up just that you think these guys would want you to be sitting around crying in your beer you know getting fat you know being miserable just you think they want you to be doing that or you think they you could honor them by doing the things you said you were going to do and being the person that you know you can be and i said that sounds great but how how do i do that and so once i found out it's like well you just have to feel those feelings, which is simple in concept, but not and easy impossible. in practice. It almost feels yeah. almost impossible. So it's <laughs> not because we both sit with people all day, encouraging them to feel their feelings. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting being uh, just talk about blurred boundaries. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a clinical therapist, and I'm a person on the spiritual journey. And I'm a veteran, uh, but as a, as a clinician working with other veterans, I'm supposed to be the provider. So I'm in, I'm, my foot is in so many different circles here, uh, but I'm okay with that because mm-hmm. I've become okay with uncertainty and I've been okay with gradually ex- uh, trusting more and more of my intuition. And because trying to trying to think through everything and trying to use just my cognitive rational brain isn't the answer you know it's a good tool but it's not the end all so if people want to follow you or find out more about you where can they do that well i have a website and a blog and podcast and it's transitions from more and dot com and uh, it's the same at transitions underscore from underscore war on instagram and they can look me up by my name, Mike Ergo, E-R-G-O. And uh, the Iron Man's put out a couple of really cool um, videos on YouTube about the, the Gold Star Initiative is what I call it. Mm. And it is, it is such a fun thing. So it's that people can, can take a look at that and get a better picture of, of what I'm trying to do to bringing, bring these families and veterans and the community together. I mean, just running a tri- 
just running a triathlon, just running, doing one of those three parts of a triathlon to me is inspiring. So doing all all three is pretty amazing, especially given everything you've been through. It's a lot. I mean, the Ironman's 2.4 mile swim, uh, 112 mile bike ride, and then the the run is 26.2 miles. So full marathon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the first time I did it was the spring of last year. And it was that same kind of knowing that wasn't in my head, but it was really in my heart. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew it was, it was my next step. And so mm-hmm. I just said, I'm going to do this. And they looked at me like, are you sure? I'm like, well, I know once I'm connected to my purpose that nothing will stop me. And that's, that's that, that heart connection that, that I've, I've been able to share with other people. And it's so fun to see them grab onto that too. The funnest thing before we go that I got to do so recently was there was a young man named Travis Desiato and he's from Massachusetts and he was killed in action in Fallujah and he's part of my unit. I connected with his sister a few years ago and as coincidentally or not, the, the first time I carried a flag and ran just I like kind of that on you a whim. throw in the or not. <laughs> or not, yeah, because yeah. I, I don't, every time I say, maybe that's a coincidence, you know, and I really put that out there, I'll, I'll just get this hilarious sign from the universe that no, it's not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, we connected and we did this together. We did this, this latest half Ironman together. So I, I swam and did the bike ride and she carried a flag with her brother. And so that, that was the first time I got to do that for someone I personally knew with someone, you know, with a, a Gold Star family member. And that was to date the most special thing um, that I've been able to do and part of still my own healing. So it's, it's really fun. It, it, the, the neat thing is that, that healing and service and, and helping other people can be fun. It can be really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Incredible of story. I am just really moved. I, I, I have a good feeling we'll be connecting a lot in the future because I, I'm going to do some work with uh, military and, and vets who have had near-death experiences. I would love that. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, right. thank you for having me on. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? curious about what comes next and what it all means, you can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life, death, and the space between and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have. Let me know what else you'd love to hear about or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.